Welcome to the Wellcast. Life is messy. We're here to help you sort it out. Well, welcome to another episode of the Wellcast. I am Mike Sirsoni, and I am joined, as always, by my good buddy Jordan Hogue. How you doing, buddy? Good, man. Got a belly full of butterfish. Butterfish. Yeah, shout out butterfish. If you don't live in Fresno, you're missing out. <laughs> it is. What do you call it? Poke? It's Poke Bowl. Yeah. yeah. Po- hey, if you guys want to sponsor the Wellcast, we're more than open. We take payment through food. Yes. And food only. Especially those wonton <laughs> chips, man. Those things are amazing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's my jam. Well, Jordan, we are uh, diving in with lead pastor and elder Brad Bell and I think it's a change of pace, really, for him to talk about something on a different side of the spectrum than maybe we normally hear him talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we're starting a two-part series on just what does intimacy with God look like through prayer and scripture? Yeah. So, Mike, do you want to kind of give us a vision of what we hope for coming through this? Yeah, I think that we, as a culture, subscribe to the box-checking method of life. So not just religion, but life as a whole. And, and what I mean by that is... Like you know, hyper-productivity. Yeah, we're yeah. trained throughout school. If we check this box and this box and this box, if we do our homework and take the tests and study, we're going to get A's. Mm-hmm. And w- then when it comes to our walk with Jesus, we subscribe the same method, which is if we read the Bible and we pray and we go to church then we are an A student when it comes to following Christ. Yeah, everything in our lives is almost structured around like earning benefits from the efforts you put in. Yeah, and yet that's not what Scripture teaches us. That Scripture teaches us from the very beginning, God desired to be with us. He's a relational God. He doesn't desire for us to check off the boxes. He doesn't need us to fulfill all of the things we think we need to achieve for Him. His chief desire in creating us is that we would do life with him. So when we somehow make our life with Jesus about tasks, we're just like Martha in Mm. the famous story. We are missing the point of why Jesus created us. Yeah, he's asking you to sit with him. Yeah, he wants you to do life with him, to engage in a relationship Mm -hmm. with him, just like you would your spouse or your kids or your friends. And so I think what we're trying to do through this is really take a look at key components of our life with Christ, first being prayer with Brad, and and then next episode, we're going to dive into being in the Word with Mike Sladen. We, we want to turn it on its head and change the paradigm and the conversation surrounding those two things. Mm-hmm. And I think when we think about the faithfulness of the believer in prayer, we often think of like the old church lady in the back who's like, well, I've been praying, you know, Four hours this morning, my usual regimen. Right. (laughs) Most of the time, we have sort of a guilt spectrum that we're on. I didn't pray as much as this person, but maybe I prayed more than this person. It's comparison game. And then you add in all these unhealthy aspects. We forget about the relational point of everything. Yeah. And I think we'll touch on this a lot in this episode with Brad. But, you know, when I was studying religion in a secular school, Fresno State, one of the topics that we studied was witchcraft. And I've always thought this is interesting because I think sometimes we almost treat our relationship with God like witchcraft in that the basic, if you boil witchcraft down to something, it's literally there is a formula that you can perform certain tasks and certain ingredients to something in order to harness the power of spirits in your life. Okay. If you do this thing, this outcome will happen. Mm-hmm. These spirits have to obey you. Yeah. 
And oftentimes we treat God like that. Yeah, or like a genie in the bottle, right? You, yeah. You, you just you rub the lamp and you rub and, it the right way. Yeah, and, yeah. It, <laughs> and the genie comes out and will grant you three wishes, and that's the God that we serve—the God that just provides for you right? whatever it is. Cosmic you want. vending machine, yeah. call it what you will. Yeah, yeah. It is a almost a witchcraft mindset to our faith and our spiritual development. Yeah. Hey God, if I pray, if I read. You owe me the life I want. Yeah. When that's not how it works at all. Well, and I think if I'm honest, man, prayer has been a sticking point since I became a follower of Christ. Because theologically, to someone who's mind first, knowledge first, and not a, a feeler. You mean like personality-wise? Yeah, personality-wise. Yeah. I have a hard time understanding how prayer works. So how does a sovereign God change his mind about anything and how does my speaking to him take root mm -hmm. what i've recognized and tim keller in his book on prayer speaks to this really prayer is an understanding that when you go to god in prayer you're actually placing him in the rightful place in your life you're realizing and saying by your actions that god is god and you are not and one thing that I love about this episode with Brad, he's going to get into it, but prayer is much more about a change in our heart than a change in what God does. Yeah. Well, I think you guys are going to enjoy it. And so we're just going to get into it here. We will see Mike Slayton in our next episode, but we're with Brad today. Check it out. Well, we are back here for another episode of The Wellcast with the one and only Brad Bell, lead pastor and one of the elders here at The Well Community Church. Welcome back, Brad. We're glad to have you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, fellas. Well, today we're wading into this interesting and mysterious topic of prayer. Why would you say, what would you say to someone who tuned in and just heard what I said? Yeah, well, the first thing I would say is don't shut off this podcast, because I think when you talk about convicting subjects, there's really three issues that you can talk about that are almost like slam dunks to bring shame and guilt. It tends to be evangelism, giving, and prayer. And so what I would say to folks that are like, oh, great, you know, I thought this was going to be about sex or something, you know, exciting to talk about. This might be the most important subject matter we could talk about because the issue of prayer is absolutely critical and in many ways an issue in our faith that is an untapped resource. Like most people have no idea how to pray. They just feel guilty about it or fall asleep when they're praying. And they don't even know why they're praying. And so I think, you know, really to walk through this together, to learn a little bit about it, and then to experience some different things in prayer, this might be the most important thing they ever listen to. Yeah, and I would argue that the mystery of it all causes people to pause when they think about prayer, to not fully understand how it works or what the purpose is. And so I hope today as we talk through this, we can kind of shed some light on that. But what would you say is a major purpose of prayer? As you think through the theology of prayer, why why does God want us to do it? What are the benefits? What's the practical benefits of prayer? Yeah, I think for most folks, it's like, okay, God is like some sort of like dispensing machine. And so I, you know, pray and then God gives me what I prayed for. And I think that is a total misnomer. Uh, that is a very narcissistic view of God. God is not beholden to us. God is Lord of the encounter as we pray. And so really what prayer is, is an opportunity for us to come before the Creator God who loves us and to delight in His presence, to sit with Him, to rest in Him, to enjoy intimacy with Him, to experience His love and His acceptance and His forgiveness. And yeah, there might be moments where you're talking about things you're anxious about or confessing sin, 
But all of that is secondary to the reality of just cultivating relationship with the living God. So we've got like a people who call Jesus their rabbi, teacher, master, we are a slave to Christ, you know, all the titles that we're given as Christians. And if he's at the center and we need to look at him first above all else, what is his example to us? Yeah, well, I think it's worth noting how often throughout the gospel accounts you see Jesus praying. I mean, think about this for a second. If prayer is a desire for a broken, sinful person to somehow make penance before a holy God, then Jesus would have never prayed because he had no need for penance. And yet Jesus prayed in John 17, a very interesting prayer. He says, I pray, he's praying to the Father, right? He says, I pray in the high priestly prayer of John 17, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. Okay, well then what kind of oneness did Jesus experience with the Father? He experienced something with God that was so beautiful and life-giving to him that had nothing to do with redemption. It was all about relationship. That was such a gift that he prayed that we both the disciples and those who would follow after, might experience a similar oneness. And I think that's the real gold of prayer. And Jesus is inviting us into, through time spent with the Father, to experience his love and that relationship. I love that relational aspect of prayer that you point out, because in his book on prayer, Tim Keller talks about how prayer really is an opportunity for us to humble ourselves and put God in his rightful place in our life. What does that look like for the average Christian? And what does that have to do with their lives? How does it impact them to walk that out? Yeah, well, I think, you know, we live in a culture, again, that that really promotes a lot of narcissism, a lot of self-promotion, a lot of pride. And we work really hard to be impressive. One of the ways some spiritual writers, for the sake of a, a better term, just a broad term for those that are thinking theologically and writing, they call that the false self the false self that's impressive and winsome and funny and witty and has good Twitter lines and whatever else. One of the things that happens as we enter into prayer is when we spend time with God, it's really hard to fake who you are before an omniscient, omnipresent, almighty God. Like Mm -hmm. he kind of knows who you are and he knows your junk, even the things you're not willing to put words to. And so when we come into prayer, one of the things that happens that is so beautiful is the false self begins to fade away in his presence, and our true self shows up, which is why most people panic and run from prayer. Because they're like, man, I don't want to talk to anybody about the real, authentic, true self. They want to continue to live in the false like self. Like there's and what... that vulnerability yeah, in that? Yeah, yeah absolutely. A vulnerability, and, and you're like... You're exposed. You are naked before God, so to speak, in terms of the real you showing up. Nobody wants that. And yet that's really where the beauty is, because when you experience the love of God in your jacked upness, the love of God in your brokenness, that's true love. See, if God only loves me because of my false self, then he really doesn't love me. He loves me. I'm trying to be. But what prayer does is it invites you to strip away that false self, let your true self show up, your authentic self, and experience his love in that brokenness. It's a beautiful thing. How did, um, how did you think like patterns and things that Jesus modeled for us in the Gospels? What is that kind of stuff? Yeah, well, I, one of the passages that jumps out at me, and there, there's a number of them, uh, but one of them is Luke 11. And in Luke 11, Jesus was praying, and he finishes praying, and the disciples come to him And they say, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Now, part of that is because a rabbi would typically teach or a teacher would teach their students whatever, you know, they wanted to teach him. But there was something about the way Jesus prayed that of all the things Jesus did, if I were there, 
Okay, I'm just yeah, being candid. Yeah, teach me to heal uh, people. Yeah, the walking on water thing was pretty rad. Would you show me how to do that? Yeah, I'd like yeah. that. Yeah, like hey, bringing um, people back from the dead. Please, yeah. thank you. Like, can we do some of that? That's like grand finale. It's a lot more stuff. sort of seemingly useful things. Yeah, and, and yet the disciples never asked to be taught how to do any of that. The only thing they ask him to teach them to do is how to pray. Why? Because I think that's the most amazing thing he did. Of all that he did, they're like, dude, okay, all these other things were cool, but that's next level. Teach us how to do that. And it's in that Luke 11 context that then Jesus goes into what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Now, what's interesting about the Lord's Prayer is I don't think it was his at all, because he says, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And that was not anything Jesus would have ever had to pray. Yeah, he had no trespasses. Right. But it was a model that he gave them, you know, and, and really a pattern, if you will, of sort of how to pray. But he invites them into that. And that's interesting. And in Matthew's account, that's actually at the end of some pretty serious indictments in the Sermon on the Mount to the religious leaders on prayer. Let's just be candid. The religious people are terrible at prayer because they're false self people, air quotes on religious, people that are all about doing good, trying hard to do good, behavior modification people. You know, in that he's talking to the Pharisees, for example, he's like, look, when you pray, don't don't pray in the street corners that you would be seen by men. Like, don't don't pray with many words. Don't pray in such a way that people would be impressed by you. Just go into your closet. Your father knows what you need in secret. And the purpose meaning, it's not about me praying big 50 cent theological words that others are impressed by me. It's me spending time alone with God and delighting in his presence. And so I think those are some of the at least points I get from Jesus that I think are worth noting. Well, and I think what I drew from that is, to your point, the compellingness, I don't even think was his discipline. I think they saw the communion you talked about that he talked about in John 17. They saw that any of that power was derived from that communion and that he in his deity or whatever they perceived it as until his resurrection was this special thing, right? We have access to that same power every day and we use it to ask God as a cosmic vending machine for a car or for the next A on our test or something, right? But then we miss out on so much. I, I was in a season, and I want to ask you about this, of processing this when at some point you asked some people on staff to walk through a book with you about leadership and stuff. And I remember specifically in that season, you were really processing what it looks like to pray, especially as a leader, but then just in general, forming that discipline. What does that mean? Can you kind of map for us your journey on communion with God through prayer and what that has been like? Yeah, absolutely. And and this might be a little roundabout way to get there, but you know, I was trained at a wonderful seminary. I'm very thankful for my time at Dallas Theological Seminary. Very incredible educational experience. And I was trained in a Bible church, so literally Denton Bible Church. And so you could kind of see what they valued. Mm-hmm. And so I was in some ways never formally taught this, but informally, that when you talked about the Trinity, it was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Scriptures. Now that that's not the Trinity, yeah. but that but that's Missing what we were taught. Third of, yeah, yeah, no question. And and there was no there was very little, if any, conversation about the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And the only conversation about the work of the Holy Spirit would be this: which gifts of the Spirit are operative today, and which ones have ceased. Mm-hmm. And that was like the extent of it. And the reason I mention that is part of my journey has been a recognition of what does biblical pneumatology look like? Like, what is a biblical view of the work of the Holy Spirit? And when it comes to the issue of prayer, it's absolutely critical 
Because Romans 8 tells us that in our weakness, we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So what I was trained in was this idea of you wake up and you have a quiet time. So you get your Bible. Hey, read, pray, read your Bible. Yeah, pray, read get, your Bible. Through, read through the Bible in a year. Pray, read, pray, journal maybe a little bit, walk away. Do it again tomorrow. Do it again tomorrow. Do it again tomorrow. Do it again tomorrow. Check, 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 check. And uh, boy, I did that for a long time. And I don't think that's a bad thing to do per se, but I don't know that it yielded the results that I was hungering for. It was a heart longing of union with God that my quiet time wasn't giving me, especially if I ever missed. Because if I missed, it was the shame and guilt of a thousand unchecked boxes. Today's wasted. Yeah, like, oh, God must not love me because I didn't spend my 20 minutes having a quiet time. Despite the fact that the Bible doesn't tell us to do any of that, it actually says to pray without ceasing, to walk in the Spirit, which is key to our union with God. Yes, exactly. And the Bible wasn't even you know, gathered together as a canon of Scripture until the early 4th right. century. So tell me how Peter enjoyed a quiet time. I mean, yeah. yeah, he may have unrolled the scroll of Isaiah, but it's not like he pulled out his phone and had a Bible. <laughs> yeah, right? he didn't so have it, a backpack yeah. full of them, yeah. Yeah, and before Gutenberg invents the printing press, did people still walk intimately with God? The answer, of course, is yes. And so I was hungry for a relationship with God that really felt like a relationship, not a relationship of expectation, but a relationship of anticipation. The difference being a relationship of expectation is here's the thing God's want, God wants from you, and so you need to perform, and if you don't do these things, then yeah, of course God's upset with you, or just a little disappointed. And that was my relationship with God forever. So for example, when I came into Regen, my word, you, you know, if for those who've never been through regeneration, it's a, a ministry we have, it's a recovery ministry. A 12-step discipleship program disguises recovery. That's, that's what Shauna taught that's what us. Okay, <laughs> great. Say it again. So it's a 12-step recovery Dis- program. Discipleship, discipleship program. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So thank you. Thank you for the correction. So anyway, I, when I came in, you know, they have you write a word that sort of defines your life. And at the end, or at least the way you think God thinks of you, and then at the end, another word. My word when I came in was almost, and my word when I commenced was enough. Mm. And for me, what that meant was I really lived in this relationship with God where I felt like God was just kind of in low-grade disappointment with me. Like, you're doing, you're doing good, but not quite enough. It's almost there. Like, if you just do a little more. And so anyway, I was caught in that sort of treadmill. Long story short, what's happening now and what I hope continues to happen, and by the way, full disclaimer, there's like a thousand guys that are have a better prayer life than I do that could speak on this podcast, but it happens to be, to your point, fresh in my life. I'm wrestling with this currently. And my word when I came out was enough. And what I realize is God wants to meet me in my already enough state with him. And I don't have to try out. I don't have to perform. I don't have to do anything. I just get to be with him. And what's happening for me is prayer is changing from the old model in my life where literally I would take an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, on draw a line down the middle. On the left side, I would write all the things I'm praying for with a date. And on the right side, when God answered, I would write the answer. Now, that's not a bad way to track the faithfulness of God. But if you'll see, that's a very transactional way of doing life with God. Right. Here's what I'm praying for. So answer it. I'm waiting. And what's happening now is it's it's a lot more of relationship. It's a lot more intimate. It's a little less box checking. It's a little less purposeful and a little less about me. In fact, one of the things I'm leaning into now 
and it's really uncomfortable, is silence and solitude. That's not my bag either. Yeah, but but it's beautiful, right? And I think when you see Jesus praying, again, to your comment about Jesus, Jordan, when you see Jesus praying, how often does he just slip away to a secluded place to pray? Yeah. You know, there's something about that. I I think there's little nuggets there that we could actually really benefit from that would Mm -hmm. give us life in our prayer. Yeah, and I think, like, to your point, oftentimes in our tradition, we have a theology of sufficiency of Scripture, and that sufficiency should drive us to a theology of prayer, which says we need more always. Yes. We need more communion. It doesn't mean yes. that we don't need it because we have scripture. That, you're exactly right. Yes, absolutely. So when is there a linchpin? Was it region or was it the understanding that came before that or after that? No, I think what it was for me, I mean, regeneration was great and, and certainly helpful, but I think what it was for me is, is a recognition of, okay, here I am. 20 plus years now in my faith, theologically trained, I know my Bible for the most part, and if not, I have the tools in which I can go find out what that text means. I've been reading through my Bible as I'm supposed to, I've been checking boxes, and yet something still feels missing. I still feel like there's just something in my heart that's not full. So when Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundant, I didn't feel like I was living that abundant life. And it's not that I needed more of God. Don't mishear me, because I think the, the whole charismatic thing can can like hijack this conversation. It's like, that's right. You need a double blessing, or you need mm-hmm. more of God. Yeah, you need that baptism of the Spirit. No, yeah, and not at all. For me, it was more of I needed, I needed more of a connection with the God who was already present in my life, mm-hmm. but I needed to sit with him. Let me give you one metaphor. So the other night, I was watching a show with my wife. And we were both in the same room. We were both watching the same show. And then we went to bed. So did we spend time together? Yeah. Well, technically. Yes. But was it soul filling? No. Contrast, there are times where we'll go for a little walk, she and I, and we're talking back and forth and hanging out, same amount of time. And, uh, and yet I feel very full after. What's the difference? Well, instead of checking a box or being distracted with something else, I entered into life with her. And I think that's what God wants is, hey, enter into life with me. I'm even more life-giving than anything you can imagine, and I just want to be with you. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what I've experienced that's different. We've talked about the importance of prayer. We've talked about the beauty of prayer, which is that we have full access to the God of the universe, which blows my mind. And that's you know why the disciples took such care to learn how to pray, right? It was, it was an incredible offering that we could have that, that connection with the God of the universe talked about the relational aspect of prayer, but help me understand and help our listener understand, is that the full scope of prayer? So I guess what I'm asking is what influence, because we come from a background, a lot of us, where like prayer is asking God for what you want. Does our prayer have any influence on God whatsoever? And how does that relationship play out theologically? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, what I hear you saying is, uh, if God is sovereign and in control of all things, then how does my prayer have any influence at all in any decision God would ever make? That is what I'm asking. And I'm asking that because I've been wrestling with this since seminary. I mean, it's a hard... And I'm kind of setting you up because there's not exactly an answer to this question, but I know I know you have thoughts on it, so I'd love to hear what you... Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at prayer and you ask the question of, okay, does my prayer change things, actions, outcomes? Yes, my prayer does. But more importantly than that, my prayer changes me. Mm -hmm. So for example, Paul tells Timothy to pray for kings and all those who are in authority. 
so that we might live a peaceful, tranquil, and quiet life. So does my prayer affect the outcome of those who are in authority over me and the decisions they make? Yeah, maybe. But more importantly than that, God changes my heart in the midst of that to say, you know, regardless of what these fools do, mm. and I mean that respectfully, mm-hmm. um, I can still just rest because my God is sovereign and in control, yeah. and whatever they choose to do, I can thrive because my response to the outcome is a result of my prayer, not necessarily the outcome itself. The mm-hmm. mind of Christ that Paul talks about all throughout Philippians and yes. gives us in one twenty one saying yes. to live is Christ, to die is gain yes. while he's in prison. Yeah, exactly. And oh. so that therefore he could rejoice always, mm-hmm. even though he's uh, locked up. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so do our prayers affect outcomes? Yes, possibly. But again, I just think it's subservient too. And I think we get in dangerous waters when we're trying to tell God what we want, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because again, he is Lord of the encounter. We are not. So when we pray, we, to your point, I think you mentioned earlier, it may have been before we came on, we humble ourselves before him, not my will be done, but yours be done, right? Uh, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Like there's a sense of we're yielding to the sovereign God and saying, God, would you just show me your love in the midst of whatever decisions are going to be made? Yes, I have a preference, but it's my preference and I I gladly subject that to you. Mm -hmm. My subjective preference I'm giving over to the sovereign Lord of the universe. Yes. And, and hoping for whatever outcome you give, that my heart will be at peace. Yes. Can I just give a real example? And, and this may timestamp this this episode, but right now it. we are in escrow for the sale of our North Campus, and we are waiting for our buyer to give the approval that we pass our due diligence period, and therefore pretty significant money goes hard, and at that point we know they're going to buy it or not. Okay. Yeah. And so I'm out praying today, just this morning, out praying. And I'm like, Lord, this is what I want. But the last thing that I would want is something you don't want. Mm -hmm. And so God, in many ways, yeah, this is what I want, but thank you that this is in your hands and I trust you. And whatever decision you're going to make, God, I'm going to submit my preferences and desires to you. And I'm just so thankful that I have a God who cares about me, cares about us, cares about our church, is the senior pastor of the Well Community Church, and has a plan for the future of this church. Mm -hmm. And we think it might be this. And if so, then these things need to happen. And then I'm laughing as if the Lord needs me to run through the calendar of what all the details are of the deal. He's well aware of all the details. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I just am kind of laughing this morning going, you know what, Lord, thank you. I, I just trust you. And I'm thankful that you are involved and love us and care and are going before us. And so that changes my heart in the midst of prayer, which is how, by the way, we can be at peace and not be anxious about anything, Mm -hmm. but in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present our request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, guards our hearts and minds in Christ. I think that's what that means. So what I hear you saying is that we do have a God. His word tells us that he wants to know the desires of our hearts. He wants us to share who we are with him. He wants us to feel that comfort But if we're asking the question of, can we change outcomes, we're asking the wrong question. The right question is, are we trusting God's sovereignty? Yes. And I think there are a few examples where people of God prayed and God was moved to change. Mm -hmm. And so I think we pray as if it depends on us and we trust knowing it depends on him. One of the things too I, I notice in scripture, so the psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord 
and he will give you the desires of your heart. So does that mean if I desire uh, or delight myself rather in the Lord, whatever I desire he's going to give me? Or does it mean that if I delight myself in the Lord, even my very desires are from him? And I think it's the latter. And that comes back to the point of when we pray, God changes us. So as I delight in the Lord, the very things I care about are from him, which means the very things I'm praying about are from him. And so I just think that's an interesting point because we tend to think, well, if I delight myself in the Lord, he just gives me whatever I want. That's a prosperity gospel. That's not a biblical gospel. Yeah. Brad, you are self-admittedly like a guy who has walked through or struggled with intimacy at times in your your walk. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm thinking of either myself or other guys who are thinking right now, okay, well, I have a difficulty with being transparent with anybody. (laughs) And that nakedness feeling that you're talking about is really tough. And we were just exchanging some war stories earlier about football and manliness and all these things, right? Mm -hmm. And then now you're talking about a deep, intimate, loving connection with God that feels like prototypically not the same thing. So how did you work through that in your own relationship with God? Yeah, well, what I would say to anybody that might relate to that would be this, that you were created in the image of God, which means you bear in your person a divine thumbprint of intimacy. God is a triune relationship of love. Father, Son, and Spirit. God created you to be an expression of that. I was just reading in Galatians here this week that when we trust in Christ, we are brought in, adopted into the family of God, and we cry out, Abba, Father. We cry out to God as if a little boy would cry out in in fear or in delight with his father, and God is with us already in that sort of relationship. So it would simply be to say to somebody, hey, look, if you feel a little relationally handicapped, can I just encourage you? You got the DNA. You're hardwired to do it. You got the natural skills to do it. One of the reasons, though, you might be apprehensive of it is typically trauma and harm in some way. If you have any abandonment issues, which are issues that I've been wrestling with for a long, long time, then yeah, you've got some difficulties connecting. If you've been hurt in some way, victimized in some way, you might have difficulty connecting. There's two things that I would recommend for people as they're talking about prayer, and and I hesitate to call them practices, but that might actually be the best thing to call them. And that is this concept really of solitude and silence. And how it relates to your question of intimacy is this. We work, as we mentioned, really hard on that false self. But when you get into solitude, you you remove the scaffolding of relationships and help and online personalities and posts and all of these other like social structures that are there to shore up the false self. And over time in solitude, the false self begins to go away. I'll tell you a quick story. We do a, a time away every year with our lead team. And years ago, I thought, well, I guess I should like go away first and like spend some time in prayer. I mean, I, I mean, isn't that what senior pastors do? So I went away and I spent a weekend by myself before the lead team came up. I'll tell you what, I've never been more frightened in my life. Look, I'm a ginormous dude. And I'm like afraid of a home invasion. Every sound I heard, I woke up, you know, I was all nervous and freaking out. I thought I heard things, thought the place I was staying was haunted. And I realized what was happening was I was alone and I was not comfortable being alone. Alone in terms of in solitude, I didn't have anything to turn to. There was no one else there, no distractions, you know, and, and it was a really awkward place to be. 
Now, boy, I would long for that experience because in solitude, your real self, your authentic self starts to show up. The other dynamic of that would be the issue of silence. Boy, we are a very word-filled people, lots of noise. I mean, think about it. You come home from a long day at work, and if you're anything like me, one of the first things I do is turn on music, fill the house with some music or sit and have a conversation with the kids or the wifey, right? Just let's talk about something. Or let's put the TV on. How many people sleep with the TV on at night? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because we need that. We need that noise. But when you get alone in solitude, and then you're quiet in silence, you start you start sensing God's presence. And the passage that I, I think of is First Kings nineteen. You guys are familiar with it, right? Elijah goes up onto the top of Mount Carmel, mm-hmm. defeats the prophets of Baal, has this incredible victory, and then ends up running for his life, scared to death, hides in the cave. And what's interesting about that is a couple of things. So Elijah runs from Mount Carmel, and one of the first things that happens is he falls asleep on the way. Mm. I think that's interesting. He falls asleep, and God shows up and just feeds him and cares for him, feeds him, and then tells him to go back to sleep before he continues his journey. One of the things with prayer that happens to people, how many times have you gone to pray and you start falling asleep? Mm. And then you're like, dude, I suck. Like, I'm awful. (laughs) I'm not supposed to sleep. It's like, well... Have you ever thought that maybe the most spiritual thing you could do in that moment is take a nap? Well, like Abraham, right? In the Abrahamic covenant, when God walks through the parts of the animal, he's asleep. It's like God saying, let me minister to you. Let me enter into I like this situation. This, I like this train of thought. I'm in- <laughs> okay, so I'm going to introduce gonna you. going to prayer sleep. <laughs> I, I'm going to introduce you to a term my wife coined. It's brilliant. It's called preeping. Oh, okay. You take praying and sleeping, and those two come together, sure enough. Preeping. I feel like my mm. wife would be real good at that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, queen. No, but I think there's something to be said about that because look, we are fatigued people. Yeah. So yeah. we over caffeinate and then we medicate at night to try to sleep. We're not getting enough sleep, which means when we go to pray, we're falling asleep. Then we feel guilty about it. It's like, well, maybe the, the most spiritual thing you can do is sleep, but maybe it's also evidence that you're running too hard, that yeah. you're burning the candle at both yeah. ends and you need to slow down. Which is our culture. I mean, that's the culture we live in. 100% yeah. right. So anyway, Elijah, after a good nap, ends up on uh, Mount Horeb. There's all kinds of fantastic God-like geologic events that happen, a storm, a fire, but God's not any of those. And then it says he hears the sound of a gentle blowing. And so he covers his face and he steps out into it. That moment is where solitude and silence come together and you step out into the presence of God. Mm. That's where intimacy is found. And, And for those, again, that are fearful... When you step out into that and you experience God's unconditional love, even in your fear, his unconditional love, even with the thoughts that are running through your head, that's where you begin to experience the true love of God. Oh, that's great. And, and I think for the people who are listening, who maybe, as you seem to put it sometimes, have skinny prayer legs, I, I think there's no shame. There's no guilt. It's not about what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. And my hope is that if you're listening to this podcast, you've been able to see the beauty of prayer. The God of the universe wants an intimate relationship with you, and he makes himself available to you. So, Brad, I'm grateful for you being here, man. I say every time we interview you, I always say we could probably talk about this for hours, but grateful for your time, man. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, and we'll have you back soon for sure. Hey, absolutely. Happy to do it. And can I just maybe make one parting comment as we take off? Yeah. Uh, the thing about prayer is it's a learned experience. You, you get more comfortable with it over time. So here's what I would encourage folks. Start small. 
just take five minutes and set a timer so that you don't feel, you know, like you're obligated to do longer yeah, and just good. sit in his presence. Mm-hmm. Right. And then if that feels good, add a little bit, add a little bit and uh, just see what the Lord has for you. And there's some great resources out there. And maybe in the, in the show notes, you can post some of the resources out there because there's some incredible books that can help unlock what is for most people a mysterious part of our spiritual life. We should probably start show notes. Hey, <laughs> that's a good next good step. suggestion. Well, like I said, man, thanks for being here. I think you blessed a lot of people talking about this important subject of prayer. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Brad. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Wellcast. As always, don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends about us. For more information about The Well Community Church, visit thewellcommunity.org.